hopefully you guys don't hate me after this one, but you've got to know the truth. Today I'm talking about my thoughts as a nutritionist living with type 1 diabetes on the low carb diet. Pros and cons. Let's get into our theme song. I've spent the last 10 years pushing the limits while identifying trends and patterns in my type 1 diabetes management. Follow along as I learn, apply, and share the fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle strategies that I've learned from diabetes experts around the world. The real question is, how can we live fearlessly with diabetes while maintaining stable blood sugars? This podcast is here to give you the answer. My name is Matt Vandevecht, head coach and co-founder of FTF Warrior, and welcome to Part of My Pancreas. All right, there's a lot of different uh, thought processes on different types of diets, which one's best for everybody living with diabetes, and uh, it's almost like there's a different tribe setups for low carb and keto and vegan and you know all these different things, and we're gonna dive into each and every one of those eventually, okay? Each one is gonna get its own video, but for right now, I wanna talk to you guys about low carb specifically, especially since it's one of the most popular, all right? so. Uh, myself, maybe even like you, when I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, uh, I was not told that there was a lot of hope. <laughs> Just being real with you, on my diagnosis day, my doctor told me, hey, you're probably going to die early, um, you're probably going to develop complications, oh, and you can never have sugar of any kind ever again. And then he walked out. <laughs> I was like, wait, come back. What? And that was it, right? And so I think... Actually, I've had this conversation with a lot of different people, and unfortunately, that conversation is relatively common among those who are newly diagnosed. Now, I found a new doctor, good news. Okay, I also got an endocrinologist who actually knows about type 1 diabetes and isn't just uh, you know, general knowledge about everything, but um, with that being the first thing that I said, I was dumbfounded and quite frustrated, sad even. Uh, that I couldn't have carbs again. And uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around carbohydrates and diabetes, and uh, there's actually a lot of talk about carbohydrates in general, even among the non-diabetic populations. And so this diet kind of picked up some speed. And uh, recently, you know, a lot of people have been trying it out for weight loss, for blood sugar control, for the fad. I think they just want to be cool and be part of the crew, you know? Uh, and so initially I did go with uh, some different types of low carb variations, you know, try different routes. Uh, being told that I couldn't have carbs ever again, I was diagnosed like literally right before Christmas, December 23rd, uh, 2009. Wow, that's a long time ago. Uh, and on that day, my family was extremely supportive. In fact, they actually bought me just a, a whole variety of sugar-free candy, right? And if you are familiar at all with marketing or nutrition, either side, uh, you probably know that sugar-free does not mean carb-free. It's just this uh, incredibly misleading marketing tactic that makes you think there's no sugar in it, so it's not going to make me fat. Or there's no sugar in it, so it's not going to jack up my blood sugars. Well, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into that, but long story short, it is not carb-free. So keep that one in mind. That's a, a free tidbit for you. But when I was first diagnosed, uh, thankfully, I was a bit of a rebel. <laughs> and I decided, you know what, I'm going to eat sugar, we're going to figure it out. And then, of course, I eventually did get an endocrinologist who supported me in that and was like, okay, you can actually eat sugar. I don't know who told you you couldn't, but there is a responsible way of going about it, right? So ultimately, um, I, I found myself experimenting with different types of foods and I kind of found my way uh, more towards an eat whatever you want kind of thing with diabetes. Uh, and it led into 
uh, a series of irresponsible choices with my diabetes. I kind of fell into an ignorance is bliss kind of mindset, but that's a completely different story. Today, specifically with low carb, what I want to talk about is the pros and cons. So initially being told that I could not have sugar, A, I obeyed to the best of my knowledge, and I tried to go sugar-free with the candies and with different types of, uh, you know, diet soda and all that kinds of stuff. But ultimately, I kind of fell off the horse. You know, I didn't stick with it. And I think that part of that battle was that it was so restrictive. Being told you can't have something kind of makes you want it more, right? But I will say this, that we're gonna start off with pros today. So the initial pros that I can think of, especially from a doctor or an endocrinologist perspective, is that telling somebody who is newly diagnosed to limit their carbs may actually be a good start. Even if you don't agree with low carb, hear me out. The reason it can be a good start is that it does make diabetes technically a little bit easier, right? There are fewer variables to consider. There's uh, less chance of error for carb counting. If you imagine that you've got a, a mountain of fruit on your plate, it's gonna be difficult to get that carb count exactly right if you're guessing versus if you have a mountain of salad, let's say. You know, lettuce, broccoli, chicken, that sort of thing. Uh, so the margin for error is much slimmer with a low carb diet. And so I will say that, that is an absolute pro for a beginner, okay? Uh, but it is not a pro for a pro, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, low carb does not have to be the end all for diabetics. This, this is why it gets interesting. Within low carb, as I mentioned, the margin for error is quite low or, or high. There's a, you know, you're able to miscalculate your carbs if it's only a couple carbs on your plate. And so if we looked at like American Diabetes Association, for example, they recommend the MyPlate version of you know, crafting your meals. And their version is half of your plate is non-starchy vegetables. And this could be something like broccoli, right? Or salad, non-starchy, we're looking at like not potatoes, right? <laughs> we don't wanna put potatoes on, on the non-starchy side from their perspective if you are trying to follow a low carb diet because something like potatoes are actually quite dense in carbohydrates. For example, a cup of most uh, potatoes is going to come out to about 25 grams of carbs, uh, whereas a cup of salad is like four. <laughs> so big difference. Uh, that being said, half is non-starchy vegetables. Uh, think leafy greens. That makes it easy. The other quarter is going to be your carbohydrates. So this could be potatoes. This could be rice. This could be uh, a ton of other things, fruit even. Uh, and then the other quarter, the, the last remaining quarter is your protein. And to give you an example, the size of your palm is roughly one, ser one serving of protein for each of us. And for those of us who are larger, we have larger palms and therefore need more protein, right? It kind of follows, but it's not perfect science. But the idea is a quarter of your plate should be protein, a quarter of your plate should be carbs, and half of your plate should be non-starchy vegetables. So if we kind of count that out, uh, I'm guessing that comes out to about 25 grams of carbs for the carb section. The whole leafy green section, non-starchy non vegetables should come out to about, it depends on what it is, maybe like four or five carbs, right? Unless you've got a mountain, then maybe like 10. But um, the entire plate there, you know, 30, 35 grams of carbs, nothing too crazy. And for some of you, you know, it's gonna vary based on what you're used to. That might seem like high carb, that might seem like low carb, that might seem normal. But the idea is we are consciously choosing to limit the amount of carbs on our plate. And with it being around 25 to 30, it's actually quite low. Uh, you know, compared to most people's diets, it's in the realm that you should be able to guess how many carbs are in it. And if you can't, even if you just kind of toss some insulin at it, you might be able to guess it correctly. So 
Uh, this follows back on my first pro, which is it's easier to manage. Now, that being said, there's a fun phrase that'll help you remember uh, the approach of those who aren't necessarily as precise with their diabetes, and that is the SWAG method. So SWAG, S-W-A-G, or scientifically, or scientific wildly amazing guess. Basically, you're making your best guess at how many carbohydrates are on that plate in front of you, and you're given insulin for whatever you expect to need insulin for based on your unique insulin to carb ratio. Uh, the idea that the insulin to carb ratio is the same at diagnosis as it is throughout your life isn't a lie. It's a straight up lie. There are multiple factors that come into place that can and will impact your insulin to carb ratio throughout your life. Uh, but that is a different topic as well. We won't get too deep into that one. The idea though is that there are two pros right there for the, the low carb diet. So I am not 100% against the low carb diet, all right? So first one is from day one. This is an easy diet to pick up. Hey, what's the one rule that you have to follow as a diabetic? Oh, limit your carbs. Okay, that's pretty easy to remember, right? Oh, and I have to figure out my insulin to carb ratio. And you know, you got enough stuff to worry about on day one of your diagnosis. Your diet shouldn't be one of them. So uh, having them start you out on that, I'm not opposed to it because we want to simplify it and allow someone to kind of grow into their diabetes with new knowledge and learn about, oh, there's different types of diets. It's not just this one that I have to follow for the rest of my life. And you know, if my family's Italian, I can still go eat pasta with them. And you learn about that later, right? But the second piece of that, the other pro is that it makes guessing a lot easier, right? The, the risk of miscalculating your carbohydrates is a lot lower when the carb content itself is lower. And that's when you can fall on that swag method, the scientific and wildly amazing guess because if you are guessing and you're guessing for a mountain of food, it's gonna be a lot more difficult than dosing and guessing for a smaller plate, right? And if the, the carbohydrate content is what you're dosing for and we limit that, it is therefore easier to guess and not get it terribly wrong. Hopefully that makes sense. Now, within the low carb community, like I said, there's a, it's kind of a tribe aspect around it where a lot of people are really hardcore about low carb is the way to go. Um, and there's, I mean, that's true across the board. All people who follow specific regimented and restricted diets tend to be a bit hardcore about their specific choices. Uh, we as humans like to fall into more of a tribe mentality. So it makes sense, but I don't want you to think that's the only option for you. So I do want to provide you with a few of the cons. Number one, it's restrictive. Okay. You are quite literally restricting carbohydrates. So it's a restrictive diet. I personally do not agree with any form of restriction dieting. I do not feel that you should have to remove something out of your diet in order to achieve your goals. You can still lose weight. You can still gain weight. You can still have fun with food. There's, you can still achieve stable blood sugars. There's so many different options with different types of diets. You do not have to restrict yourself. And, and oftentimes when you do restrict certain pieces of macronutrients or micronutrients, or even just pull out certain types of food from your diet, provided you aren't allergic or something, uh, we're more oftentimes going to find a way to cheat the diet, right? It's going to last for a couple of weeks. You'll stay strong and then you're just going to go nuts on Friday night and order, you know, two pizzas and ice cream and chips and it gets out of hand and I have been there. So I tell you from personal experience, restrictive diets, restrictive anything doesn't typically uh, last as the best possible option because it's more of a short-term fix. That being said, it tends to ruin the relationship with food as well. We tend to look at a plate and go, I can't have that. It tends to make mealtimes a bit more stressful or not as fun. You forget to enjoy the actual food. And on that topic, it's not just the relationship with food, but the relationship with others as well. If you're known as the person who can't have that, 
right? Or don't invite this person to that meal because they can't eat with us. You know, my wife's family is all Italian, and so <laughs> jumping into that world, everything is very high carb, right? We have pasta, we have pizza, uh, I mean, those are the, the big ones. And within those types of meals, if you can't have carbs, you can't eat, right? <laughs> There's very few options on the plates uh, that you get to enjoy and partake in. And so if you restrict yourself with your diet, you end up restricting your social interactions as well to a certain extent, right? Yes, you can pack your own food. Yes, you can order the salad, but everyone's kind of glancing over at you like, aren't you missing out? Like, I know you want this, right? And so uh, when it does impact your relationship with food, it can impact your relationship with others. If that is not the situation for you, you can ignore that. But you might want to take a second to think on that. Like maybe I have been saying no to certain restaurants or certain family or friend outings because the food didn't quite match up with what I wanted to eat, right? And maybe it's rooted in I am restricting myself based on the foods that I eat because of my diabetes. And if that is the case, stick around to the end. We got something for you that's going to help you out, okay? Now, that being said, uh, one piece that I don't, well, this is a, a, we're a couple pieces in now, a couple pieces that I don't like about the low-carb diet. Another one is that it oftentimes causes people to shy away from fruit. And fruit, super good for you, right? We want the micronutrient diversity or the vitamins and minerals. A lot of those we can pull from fruits. Yes, vegetables are a great source of that as well. But having a mixture of both can be very healthy and beneficial for your overall body functionality, okay? So fruit, don't be afraid of it. Um, even if you are low carb and you're stuck in your ways, and you're like, I'm gonna stay low carb, it's the way to go. Cool, just add in a couple pieces of fruit every once in a while, okay? Do me a favor, just eat a couple pieces. That's all I ask. Now, within the low-carb approach, as I mentioned earlier, I was diagnosed right before Christmas, and my parents, my family, trying to support me, you know, went out and found these low-carb or uh, sugar-free options. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Marketing, nutrition, is kind of a crossover, kind of them honestly teaming up and trying to figure out how they can navigate it and trick us. The low-carb foods, Oftentimes, there's other stuff in the food. Same thing with sugar-free, there's fake sugars in there. It's not that it just magically tastes good without having sugar, no, they put sugar substitutes, they put fake sugars, they put a whole slew of chemicals and other different ingredients there to make it taste good and not make you miss the initial sugary feeling, right? And there's a whole just other branch of conversation we can dive down with. Um, those types of foods, what they do to your digestive system and how they're just not good for you at all. But I want you to know it's not just magically still tasting great even though it doesn't have sugar uh, or carbs. There's something else in there that they've substituted it for. Uh, it could be higher sodium, it could be higher fat, it could be those fake sugars we were talking about, but it doesn't necessarily just, like, like I mentioned, it's not magic, right? There's gonna be something else in there to replace that to make it still appealing to us. Now, another piece that I wanna mention for you is the snacking or adding of other types of foods to your meals because, let's face it, if you're pulling back on carbs, you gotta fill it with something else. You still need calories to get you through your day, right? Whether it's exercise or even just sitting in bed, you literally burn calories throughout the day, throughout the night. That's how our bodies function. Uh, so with that being said, if the carbs are getting pulled out, what's getting pushed in? Oftentimes, it's gonna be fats or proteins, right? All food is made up of one of three macronutrients, or a mixture of them, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. So if you go less carbs, you're probably gonna increase either fats or proteins or both. 
I did myself. Now, what we look at with this is that, yes, you have an insulin to carb ratio as someone who is insulin dependent. However, what is not talked about nearly enough is the effects of fat and protein on blood sugars and how you may actually need an insulin to protein ratio. That's right, taking insulin for protein, a process called gluconeogenesis. It's a fun one. Basically, if you're not eating a lot of carbs and your body needs to pull fuel from protein, it's going to do that but it's gonna convert protein into glucose at a specific ratio, and you might need to, well, you will need to take insulin for that in that case. So, um, with different processes and you know your metabolic pathways being adjusted, depending on the type of diet that you follow, you may need to take extra insulin for different types of foods, and since you probably didn't know that, it's leading up into sneaky and stubborn high blood sugars, which is a massive frustration if you think you nailed your insulin to carb ratio, but then hours later, you're looking at your blood sugars just creeping up on you, going through the roof, and you're taking extra insulin and it is not moving. That's one of the reasons that could be leading into that. So I want you to be aware of that, okay? Um, when I was first diagnosed, my endocrinologist told me that I had five things I didn't have to take insulin for. They said it was vegetables, eggs, cheese, meat, and water. Guess what? Four of the five, you actually do have to take insulin for it, or at the very least, take into consideration when looking at blood sugars. That's right, water is the only one you actually don't have to worry about for blood sugar regulation. So that being said, vegetables, yes, they have carbs, but they're a lot of fiber as well. And that's why it's not as necessary to take insulin, but in large quantities, yes, it still is. Meat, I just talked about protein, right? Same thing with eggs and cheese. Those can lead into stubborn high blood sugars later on. And unfortunately, we don't talk about fat either. The other macronutrient, fat can actually lead to, uh, well, I don't wanna to get too deep into this topic just yet. We'll cover it in keto, okay? So be sure to check in, in later episodes. We'll go deeper into the role that fat plays with your body, with your blood sugar levels as well. Uh, Cause I don't want this episode to get too long. It's already kind of feeling like it is. But the idea behind this is you should do your own research, look into the different diets that are available to you, and understand that low carb being pushed as the single available diet for diabetics like myself and likely like you is just wrong. It's not that it doesn't work. You can still enjoy it. But that right there is the key is that you should enjoy it. If you hate low carb, talk to me we'll figure out a better option. If you love low carb, but you're having some struggles with blood sugars, like we talked about proteins and fats and different types of fake sugars and fibers and making sure that blood sugar stays stable through those meals, talk to me, we'll get it figured out. This is what we do, okay? As I mentioned, I'm a nutritionist, I'm also a master fitness trainer, I live with type one diabetes. We actually run coaching programs for these types of things specifically and have tons of resources for you. But right now, there's one specific message I wanna leave you with. Your diet does not have to be defined by your diabetes. There's a way to find what works for you and actually make it enjoyable. I do eat pizza and pasta. I still also eat bacon and eggs, right? I go both sides of the spectrum and I can make it work for my blood sugars. You do not have to be restricted just because you have diabetes. And I wish somebody had told me that earlier on. You can make this work for you. It just requires a different strategy. Why? Because nothing changes when nothing changes. Think on that one for a second. And while you guys are thinking about it, I wanna give you one next step, one place to look for another training that I did. And there's actually a piece of that training where I go over a special something called your personalized macronutrient profile. Remember we talked about what the macronutrients are. 
carbs, fats, proteins. There's a combination of those three that works for you, I guarantee it. And if you wanna know what that looks like, head over to diabetesinaction.com, register for that free training, watch it, take notes, and see what you learn. All right, so diabetesinaction.com, go learn about what a personalized macronutrient profile is. Almost didn't say it right. Your personalized macronutrient profile. Check it out, be sure to take those notes. Try and implement what you learn, and if you need to, let me know if you wanna have a chat and see if I can help you out, all right? Be sure to subscribe, check out the next videos on the rest of these diets we're gonna be diving through, and keep up the fight.